Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. All right, welcome back to Fizz Radio. Happy Saturday to everyone out there. And thanks for tuning in, whether it's on the Score 1260 or in the podcast format. It's Tim Leonard and Jonathan Hoppy this week, and we do have a lot to talk about. We're going to start out with the Elijah Hughes news here for Syracuse. Became officially official this week, Hop, because Hughes is no longer going to play basketball for Syracuse. He officially announced that he is going to stay in the NBA draft process. And I think, for me at least, when I saw the news, I was kind of numb because I kind of felt like this was coming all along. Pretty unsurprising for sure, Tim, but what is surprising, how smooth this transition has been to online and talk about being remote. We got to give some love here to Uber Conference. Everyone's talking about Zoom, Uber Conference hooking us up. It's like we're in the same room. Anyway, yes, Elijah Hughes moving on what we expected, and that means that that hole has to be filled in the Syracuse lineup, and we're going to talk about that who needs to step up, and ultimately, who will step up next year. When you lose your leading scorer, that's always a big deal, and that's exactly what's happening right now to the Orange. Yeah, we'll get into that. Some football recruiting stuff today. NFL draft as well, which Syracuse guys we think will get selected and when, and kind of how their careers will pan out in the NFL. And then also talk a little bit about next year's season regarding Tommy DeVito. You wrote a good article orangefizz.net on Tommy DeVito and just kind of evaluate what he needs to do next year if we do play football. But we'll dive into that later on in the show and wrap up with Fizz feedback. Sticking with Hughes, though, I kind of wrote an article based on the depth chart now for Syracuse. And it's interesting when you dive into it because the big thing that sticks out now, and we kind of have always known this, but you don't have that it guy next year, at least on paper right now. You don't have the Tyus battle that you've had in years past. The Elijah Hughes, he was last year, where he's averaging 20 points a game or right around there, and he's your guy in crunch time and everything, and he's playing 40 minutes night in and night out. Syracuse has had that type of score really for four or five years now, and that's my big concern with next year's roster because when you look at who they're bringing back, sure, Buddy Bayheim. I think exceeded everyone's expectations this past year, but that was him in the number two role in the couple games that we saw without Hughes in the lineup because of injury. Beheim was really not himself, not playing up to his caliber when he had to play the number one role. So it's going to be a different type of offense next year. And I think that's the big question mark. Who is going to step up and be that it guy? Because you still need someone to emerge. Well, Tim, I feel like we know at this point that Buddy Beheim is more of a complimentary piece, just the way that he operates. And we even saw that last year, specifically in that Florida State game when the Knowles were giving him so much attention, knowing that Elijah Hughes might not be 100%. He folded. He did not play well. And he's not really a guy that's equipped to be your number one scorer. At least that's what we've seen in the first two seasons. Joe Girard he might be, though, and I think that's someone that a lot of fans are going to want to see take the next step last next year. We're not sure what his potential is. It was an up-and-down year. The numbers were still okay, 
Maybe he comes in next year, really turns that corner. We know how much he can score. Maybe with Hughes gone, he tries to put the team on his back and he scores, say, 20 points per game. That's always a possibility. That's a high number, but he's the unknown. Everyone else on the roster, besides the freshmen, you kind of know what you're getting at this point. Yeah, and I'd also say that Quincy Garrier kind of falls into that category with Gerard, where he has some potential that maybe we haven't quite seen yet. Can he shoot the three? Can you make a three, Quincy? (laughs) And I know a lot of that is he wasn't allowed to shoot him. So, you know, Bayheim has kind of joked that next year he's going to allow Quincy to shoot some threes. Well, they're going to need it because they also do lose Hughes' three-point shooting, and it can't all fall on Gerard and Bayheim to make threes. The other thing to kind of add to this discussion is Alan Griffin because now if we had talked a couple of weeks ago, it feels like he wasn't going to get this transfer vote passed and he wasn't going to be eligible. Now it's kind of trending that way that he's probably going to be able to play next season if they do start on time and everything. So he kind of could fill somewhat of that Hughes role at the forward. I don't know if he'll be as much of a scorer in his very first season with Syracuse, but he definitely has potential as well. So they're going to be a more balanced lineup. And that's not to say they didn't have a couple different options this past year, but it won't just be one guy unless maybe Gerard or Garrier really step up. And I do think people are kind of sleeping on Garrier a little bit because he has just as much potential as anyone in that lineup. And we did see flashes of it last year. And you'd think with a full off season, that would be just what he needed. When you lose a guy like Hughes, You want a player like Garrier, someone who has a little bit of unknown, like Joe Girard, a transfer. That way, when other teams are scouting you and talking about you ahead of the season, they're not really sure what to expect. If you just run back the same guys, it's like, okay, they've got the same group, but they lost Hughes. This is going to be a much worse team. At least there's a few wild cards, so to speak. And another one... Robert Braswell, you know, he was reported yeah. to transfer. He's still around. So that's a player that could maybe factor in. And we saw some potential from him in the preseason. And the Athletic was reporting that he was likely to go. Well, as far as I know, he's still on the roster. So he's someone that could make an impact in the fall. And he's certainly a wild card, too. Yeah. So the thing with Braswell, I feel like this Alan Griffin news now makes it maybe even more pressing that he revisits the transfer. I was just sort of running through the lineup if Griffin was available. And we know Jim Beheim's history that he's, once it comes time to ACC play, he's not going to play more than seven or eight guys. He's never done it. We always think maybe this is the year and he doesn't do it, including last year. So there's five guys that I think we can guarantee are going to play. And that's who I guess are the starters, unless Griffin kind of, takes Quincy out of the starting lineup, but that's obviously Gerard, Beheim, Garrier, Dolajai, and Sidibe, the two seniors in the front court, likely will start. And then I think Griffin is basically guaranteed minutes because he was he basically said he was promised those minutes, and that's why he came to Syracuse, because he's going to get the opportunity there. And I don't see how you could promise a guy minutes and not play him unless he's a total flop. So I think we can kind of pencil him in at six. And then you need a backup center and a backup guard. And that is really only option is Kadari Richmond for a couple minutes a game, probably as a freshman, as your backup guard to 
spell Gerard because I do think Beheim will probably be that 40 minute guy next year because there's usually one. And then maybe Jesse Edwards, Sean Bullock is the center. But anyway, you, you've I've already named eight, nine guys, and I haven't named Robert Braswell. And I don't know where he fits in or how you fit Braswell and Griffin in along with Quincy to the forward position, because given Beheim's track record and history here, he's usually not going more than seven or eight deep into the bench. You're right. If Griffin comes, it seems like a foregone conclusion that Robert Braswell just doesn't really have a spot in this rotation and probably would end up inside the transfer portal. If Griffin is not eligible this year, right? That does. I feel like there is some potential there. Yeah. And like, I don't know if I blame Beheim because that's just always how he's been. But sometimes you just wish that he could develop a brass one. I know part of it was injuries this year, but he redshirted technically this year. So he's got some time left to be a valuable piece down the road. And he's just probably going to leave like a lot of these other guys left because he's not getting what he wants. Tim, I want to ask you, though, that lineup that you just pointed out, say Griffin is eligible and you look at those seven or eight guys, that's pretty solid. I mean, in my eyes, it's not that much worse than what you saw last year. And what you can hope for as a Syracuse fan is that continued improvement. And Jim Beheim, if you ever listen to the coaches show last year, you call in and the fans get a chance to ask coach Jim Beheim a question. And sometimes he's very blunt in his response. And they say, well, Jim, we're going to have the same roster next year. Why should I have any sort of excitement? It's going to be the same thing. We're going to be flirting with the bubble. And in this case, not really be close to it. And he says, we're getting better. Every every practice, we get better. Every team gets better. So if you want to buy into that, you go up and down the roster. You'd expect Gerard to be better. Beheim will be a junior. You leave that three spot alone. Dolajai has gotten to be a really good player in the league. And then Sadiq yeah. played some great basketball in his final 10 games last year. That's all you can ask for. And in my eyes, the freshmen are a wild card as well. But there is some serious potential there to be a tournament team. It's not going to be a team that is a lock to make the field. But it's a team that could overachieve based on what they did last year. Yeah, I saw Joe Lenardi's early bracketology, which I don't know how he's even doing it, but he did not have Syracuse in his bracketology. I was shocked that he didn't put him as like last team in because I feel like that's what it's been for years. But who knows? He might not be considering Alan Griffin in that discussion. And obviously that doesn't mean that they're not favored to be in the tournament. That's just one guy's opinion. I think the biggest thing is is Sidibe. Like we can talk about this all we want, but he's your X factor. And I don't see a world where Syracuse is as successful as maybe the fan base wants them to be next season if Sidibe plays like he did for the first 20-some-odd games of this past year because they need him to stay out of foul trouble, they need him to rebound, and they need him to play like a senior center and develop to that point. So he's essentially your X factor. Listen, I feel pretty good about Sidibe. He's a guy who has made improvements His game is not polished. It's probably never going to be polished. But for him, I feel like it's a confidence thing. And as the season went on, he really gained some confidence. So if he takes this offseason, now granted, it's going to be unconventional. We're not sure what it's going to look like the next time they're going to get back inside the gym. But if you take that away from it, 
feel good about what he's going to bring next year, coming back for one final season with a lot of confidence. Jesse Edwards could give some backup when he does foul out, and you'd think Edwards would be a little bit better. So surely I'm looking at the optimistic view of this team, and things could crash and burn and not happen like I think they will. But there are some reasons to be optimistic, especially now that we know what the team will look like besides that news on Alan Griffin and all those transfers for next year. Definitely more optimistic since the start of this whole thing with the Alan Griffin news for sure. All right, time to talk some football. A big football recruiting week for Syracuse. We'll tell you about two new additions, two guys I really like, two three-star ads. We'll break them down next and get into the NFL draft a little bit as it pertains to Syracuse. Who will get selected and when for the Orange? That's next on The Score 1260. All right, we welcome you back to Fizz Radio. Thanks for checking us out on this Saturday morning on The Score 1260. Tim Leonard and Jonathan Hoppe, you can always find the show uninterrupted wherever you get your podcast. Just search Orange Fizz. You can also find our website, orangefizz.net, and we're on Twitter at Orange Fizz. Going to talk about some recruiting news for football. 2021 class is getting in the swing of things a little bit, up to three commits after two since the last time we spoke. The two commits are two three-star guys. It's a running back, Josh Huff, and a safety, Malcolm Folk. They're both kind of not going to wow you ratings-wise. Malcolm Folk is basically middle-of-the-pack three-star. Josh Huff is not even really listed on 24-7 sports because it is kind of early in this process in terms of a ranking. But I will say, starting with Huff, at the running back position, he is 6'2", 230, with a 4-5 40-yard dash. And when you do watch his highlight tape, he's from Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, not playing against anyone that's outrageous, of course. But this is someone who definitely passes the whoa, like wow, when you're watching his highlight tape because he's such a big body, but he's also got this breakaway 4-5-40 speed, which if you just start there, he's got potential, you'd have to think. Yeah, it feels like Huff is a pretty big get for the Orange, just because when you look at who they recruit, typically it's three stars. And that's why this is a ho-hum start to this, because everyone out there is just looking for that high-rated recruit. Well, you're probably not going to get it so early in the cycle. So if you can get somebody like Huff, who does have a lot of potential, and check out some of these places he did have offers from, Kentucky, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Toledo, Bowling Green. While that's not the cream of the crop, I mean, that's an SEC program, a fellow ACC school, some of the better, smaller programs in our country. So you got to think that he was on the radar, and he's not going to wow you with his ratings. But when you look at that size and speed and what you could potentially work him into, that's a running back that a lot of teams would like to have in a couple of seasons. Yeah, and think about Not only that, but Pittsburgh in particular have been great at locating running backs in the past from guys like LaShawn McCoy, Deion Lewis, James Conner was obviously great, and they've run all over Syracuse, it seems like, recently. So in in Kentucky as well is a program that's on the rise, an SEC program. So he's probably one of those players just based on that that's only going to get some more looks here as it progresses. And I will say... 
the ratings thing, it's easy to fall in love with. And I think I'm as guilty of it as anyone else. Like I've been clamoring for a four star for who knows how long. And I still obviously do wish that a four star comes along, but the stark reality of it is Syracuse is not a four star program right now. So what they have to do is get on these kids early in the cycle and identify players they like that maybe are undervalued. And I think Huff qualifies as one of those guys right now that I would be shocked if in the next unveiling of the 24-7 sports rankings, he's not a solid three-star and maybe even gets higher up and up as this goes along because it is early here. And he's a running back, which is kind of fun because Syracuse is starting to get a little bit better additions at the skill positions, I think, since Dino Babers has taken over. It's a little more flashy of an offense. This guy kind of qualifies more as maybe a Jarvion Howard type where he could be a bruiser at the goal line as well, but he does have that speed too. So that's why he has so much potential, but just getting the skill positions is, is fun to see. Well, when you look at Jawar Jordan, he kind of seems like the future right now for the orange at the running back position. What we saw from him in limited action, a couple of bursts and you're like, Hey, this kid can really play. So then now you match him up with a guy like Huff, lightning and thunder, so to speak, especially like you mentioned too, down at the goal line, the Orange have really struggled to punch the ball in. They have not had a bruising threat. We thought it would be Howard last year, but then he just kind of disappeared. He had that one touchdown in the season opener, which made us think, oh yeah, they got the big package in there. Elmore leading the charge. For some reason, we never saw that. And that maybe is a coaching discussion, But at least a guy like Huff gives you an opportunity to get that bruising threat back in, especially especially once Howard is gone. Yeah, he's got some pretty good hands, too. So a versatile guy in Josh Huff, the running back out of Pennsylvania. Malcolm Folk is the safety, 6'1", 191. Also played some running back in high school, but looks like he's going to be a defensive back for Syracuse. Offers from Army, Bowling Green, Buffalo, Kind of the usual suspects. I feel like they're always in on some of these Syracuse recruits. And that's, I guess, once it's in the early stages as well. He's got a decent rating on 247sports.com. The composite's right around an 82. And then his normal rating is an 86, which is honestly flirting with a, a four-star almost. He's a, he's a pretty high-end three-star if you look at it just based on ratings. And another guy that maybe the offer sheet doesn't wow you right now, but when you watch his highlight tape, I was pretty impressed. He's another lengthy guy. That's kind of the trend for the Orange secondary. You think of a player like Andre Sisko, Ife Melifonwu, the guys that just have big wingspans. They're athletic. They can get out there, tip balls, and make things happen. And that's what we talk about a lot off the air when we talk about Andre Sisko and his interceptions. Is he just in the right spot? Is he creating it? Well, a lot of it, they do seem to fall in his lap because some of them are tips. And you just get a lot of length in the secondary. And when you're that Syracuse program who can't necessarily pick from the four and five stars, that's what you look for. And it has worked. I know the secondary got completely torched at times last (laughs) season. But we felt good about that position going in and still feel decent about it now with some of the talent they have in the back end. It's more so about building that entire defense from top to bottom. 
especially with this new defensive scheme that Tony White is bringing in, five defensive backs, it's even more important. And I will say, I think secondary of all the positions, maybe in the Dino Babers era, has probably brought in the best talent of any position. I guess quarterback, you could say, with DeVito. And it's hard to really compare because it's not apples to orange. Yeah, receivers has been good. And obviously, I think his scheme has really helped those receivers as well. But yeah, I, I think that's so another good year. ad. Well, yeah, help Tristan Jackson, which we can dive into <laughs> Tristan Jackson, some of these other guys too, because you know I was going back through, and we're going to talk about Tommy DeVito later in kind of a similar light, but I was going back through Tristan Jackson's numbers last year, and you kind of forget, like, he had over 1,000 yards. I think it was, maybe I'm off, but 11 or 12 touchdowns. Like, he basically caught every touchdown, it felt like, that DeVito threw. And they did have a good relationship on and off the field by all accounts. So maybe that helped. But he's kind of projected right now as we look at it from an NFL draft lens to be a sixth round guy. So probably coming on Saturday. But I think between him and Alton Robinson, Syracuse is going to get two guys drafted this year. The other two in consideration are Kendall Coleman and Sterling Hoffrichter. So it's at least good to see that there's four guys kind of in this discussion. Hoffrichter and Coleman may not get drafted, but they will get picked up and they'll be playing on an NFL roster, at least if there is a training camp and everything. At least as soon as that starts, they'll be vying for a spot for sure. Yeah, those are two guys you do feel good about. And watching this draft, there's so much talent at the top and so much elite talent. And what it tells me too, and we saw this, on Thursday night. I think earlier we said we recorded this. We're recording on Thursday. It's actually Friday morning for a lift under oh, the yeah. curtain. We, we did <laughs> we see that record. first round. Yeah. Right. It's a little odd schedule here, but we did see the first round and you see all that talent at the top. And it really shows you how far Syracuse has to go before they're one of those programs that's pumping out first round picks left and right. But Tristan Jackson and more specifically Alton Robinson, those are two guys that I think are legit NFL prospects, especially Robinson, just with the speed and the mentality he brings on the outside while maintaining that physical body. And then Jackson, he's just a pass catcher. You can always use somebody like him because he could. I have some questions about his frame. He's not the biggest guy and maybe not the fastest, so he's going to have to figure out what his niche is in the next level yeah I don't think he's the best route runner per se too I think that slant worked with him a lot but maybe could be a little bit crisper and sharpening his route running tree for sure and look everyone has things to work on he's a four-star talent though and so is Alton Robinson you forget originally committed to Texas A&M so these are two guys that are as talented as really anyone to come through Syracuse and that's why you see them with the best potential to get drafted. But Jackson in particular, when you look at his game, it's almost like you just need to get him the ball some way. He's great once he gets the ball in his hands, and he had some good plays. I remember that one against Western Michigan in particular, where it's a lot of yards after the catch, stiff arms, jukes, and breaking tackles and everything. And I just worry a little bit. You know, I think his hands are fine, but I think – as you said, his frame, his route running, can he sort of progress into NFL caliber and those other characteristics? Because he's great once he gets the ball in his hands. 
Well, clearly that's something that scouts think can happen because he has shown that he can do it. I think that's impressive too, that you can come into a program like Syracuse and just become the number one receiver. Just figure it yeah. out with your quarterback. That's got to factor in somewhere where you can have that connection with DeVito. You can come in and really be the offense. I think that's helped him a lot because he bailed out this Syracuse team and so many times he was the only guy that could get open. So watching the film, scouts probably liked that when they saw other receivers struggle to even get open. I mean, Tim, Taj Harris really had a setback and he turned it on later in the year. Nikeem Johnson was non-existent. This was not a strong group. When on paper to start the year, we thought they were. Yeah, probably my favorite stat throughout the year was how many balls has Nikeem Johnson caught? Because every time you looked, it was shockingly low. But sticking with these guys kind of in the NFL draft conversation for Syracuse, Alton Robinson, we touched on a little bit. We, as you said, are doing this Friday morning. So he could get selected Friday night, and that would obviously be in that third-round range, which I have seen him as high as on some mock drafts. But I think more likely most mock drafts have him in the fifth-round range, so we'll see where he goes. With him, kind of comparing him to Kendall Coleman, from an NFL draft perspective, it feels like Robinson has a lot of the things that Coleman doesn't have, and Coleman has a lot of the things that Robinson doesn't have. I think with Coleman... What's impressive is his leadership, his off-the-field, good student, great interviewer probably. I think we've always been impressed when he walked up on ACC Media Day or the opening kickoff. He's great at giving polished answers, very technically sound, good technique, good timing, but not as great in the explosiveness frame category. Robinson has the explosiveness, the frame, and you worry maybe a little bit about the off-the-field stuff given what's happened in the past. Yeah, Robinson just looks and plays like a pro, and that's the difference there is that Coleman could turn into it, but frankly, he needs to put on some more weight. It's And I'm, not, I'm no NFL scout, but when you look at him, it just really feels like there's something missing in terms of him and an NFL-caliber style of player. Whereas Robinson is really knocking on the door and he's just a few things away from being in the rotation, I think, for one of these teams. And that says a lot about Syracuse being able to develop him because that's another area. It's really odd when you think about these teams under Babers, there's been a few positions that have thrived and getting after the quarterback, that has been a strength for this team and Robinson, a huge reason why. Yeah, they've had a lot of good individual defensive players, and now you just hope they can kind of bring it together in the future. For Syracuse, if they do get two guys drafted as most anticipated, it'll be the first year since 2014 that has happened, and they have not had anyone drafted before the seventh round in the past three years. So look out for Alton Robinson, Tristan Jackson, Kendall Coleman, and Sterling Hoffreter over the weekend here as the NFL draft progresses when we come back going to talk about Tommy DeVito and what we can expect from him next season I think this is going to be a fun conversation on the quarterback where things are at for him and what he has to do next year to make some improvements that's next on the score 1260 
Okay, welcome back to Fizz Radio. It's Tim Leonard and Jonathan Hoppy this week. Thanks for joining us. Going to talk about Tommy DeVito now, which honestly, Hop, when I look back at his stats from last year, and I guess we could have noticed this and we're kind of cognizant of it during the season, but his numbers were great. It's funny how time sort of heals some wounds there. And I wouldn't say that it was all on him. I think anytime you talk about DeVito last season, you have to automatically talk about the offensive line and give him some credit that he was playing in a tough situation, but his numbers really in hindsight bias or looking back on it after some time to reflect really stand out to be even better. The more times you look at it, he got better as the season went on. Unfortunately, no one really cared because the season was over. So that's really the problem with what he did When you look at how he stacks up in the ACC, though, and I linked this in my article, orangefizz.net, he's top six in every category, tied for first in interceptions. So really, Tim, he's near the top tier in the ACC in terms of quarterback statistics. That's strong, especially for a guy that's starting in the ACC for the first time. That's something you can feel good about. One thing we can say, though, is that he didn't play as much in the back half of the season. Clayton Welch got a lot of snaps. DeVito was banged up at times, so maybe it makes sense that he did not throw an interception toward the end of the season. It's hard to digest this, and that's what we're going to try to do right now. Yeah, so 19 touchdowns for DeVito last year, five interceptions, 63.2 completion percentage, which was third in the ACC overall and I think you kind of mentioned it there but he was playing through injury at times last year I don't think anyone can deny that I just reflect on that NC State game there are a couple plays where he kind of just came up lame on his ribs and before that was obviously Western Michigan where he left the game early you don't really know how much that played a factor but Clayton Welch did play obviously some games and he came out of some games And you have to kind of add that into another layer here when you're talking about DeVito's season because the odds were really stacked against him. I know he had high hopes because we look at his four-star ratings and we saw some great things, honestly, in in relief in his freshman season. But he had the injuries of sorts. He had the broken offensive line, the playing from behind element, team atmosphere, not in a great mood because you're struggling. And he was a first-year starter. He was just a sophomore last year in the ACC. So I think we got a little bit too attached to his ratings and the good things. I'm still very confident that he really finishes up a pretty memorable Syracuse career if they can get kind of the right pieces and he can stay healthy and everything kind of comes together because you feel like he's sort of due for that after all the bad breaks that happened last year. So I'll play devil's advocate there, which is what I did in the article. That's the case for DeVito. Everything you just laid out, terrible offensive line, the stats were good, and he was banged up at times. But the case against him, remember some of those throws he made? They were really, really bad. And I know they were at the start of the season, and those type of throws went away as the year went on, but... Specifically, what comes to my mind, Tim, and we can talk about this for a second, is in the Clemson game, you get the interception. Christopher Frederick picks it off on the sideline, 
And then yeah. it's first and 10 with the chance to make it a one possession game. And he throws it interception on first down as he was rolling out to the sideline, could have easily just tossed it yeah. into the upper level if he wanted to instead an interception. That was a mind boggling decision and one that you do not like to see your program caliber quarterback make. Yeah, that that was such a bad throw that I remember talking with my mom afterwards and not to just completely downgrade her, but she was like, yeah, what was he thinking? It's like he just intentionally threw it to the other team. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of how everyone feels about that one there. It's weird because the five interceptions, I feel like three or four of them were just so, so bad. I think there was one against Liberty and a couple of times they were rolling out of the pocket and he just didn't have to force the issue, especially in that instance, first and 10. But, you know, I, I think he really got those out of his system a little bit at the start of the year. And you'd like to think he he learned from those. I think DeVito even said that, or uh, sorry, Babers even said that in the press conferences afterwards saying, let's not forget here, like, this is a sophomore quarterback. It's his first year. He's going to make mistakes. And we put the pedestal pretty high for Tommy DeVito. I'd like to think with two years left, they still have time to sort of maximize this time frame. I think that's what it really comes down to for me is you have a four-star quarterback. You have this new head coach who has brought a little bit of life back into the program. We can say confidently because of just that one season where you win 10 games and you're ranked and he's gotten them to places they haven't been in a while. So it would just really sting if one of your best recruits in recent memory, who happens to be at the quarterback position, the most important position of all things, and you don't really get anything out of his five years total, but four years playing, I guess you kind of did. But my point is the three years of him as a starter, you need to get something out of that time frame here. And it kind of starts next year. I'd be disappointed if they didn't make a bowl game. And if he didn't make some strides next year, I think all the stuff we're saying, like you can make mistakes, you're a sophomore, sort of goes out the window a little bit next year. We should see improvement. Well, he did improve, like you mentioned. We do have to mention these throws, though, just because you got to look at the full body of work. There's a play against yeah. Liberty in the opener where it should have been a pick, which would have given him six on the year, which would push him out of that tie for first in the league, but they just dropped it. It was a blatant miss. So ultimately, on top of that, you got to consider the wide receivers, Tim. That has to fall on the quarterback at some point. It seemed like he was only looking at Tristan Jackson yeah. at times. When he was going deep, you almost didn't have to look to see who was under it. You saw the towel and you realized, oh, yeah, that's that's Jackson. Because it always was. There was not a lot of variety, especially in the deep routes. It was mainly only Jackson. And you got to wonder the quarterback chemistry – specifically with Tosh Harris. People wondering all year, what is up with yeah. Tosh Harris and Tommy DeVito? That was supposed to be the guy. He's still the cornerstone in the wide receiver room now that Jackson is a one-and-done type for the program. So that's got to change, man. Yeah. I mean, Tosh Harris had more touchdowns with Clayton Welch, I think, because he had that one long one, of course, when Welch came in. But yeah, I mean, when we looked at the wide receivers to start the year, you kind of forget now, like Sean Riley was on that team, Nikeem Johnson. There was a lot of talent in that wide receiver room. 
And really, if you want to go down to guys like Russell Thompson, Bishop, and I, I don't know, Cameron Jordan, like there was depth variety for oh. DeVito. <laughs> right. He didn't throw to any we of these guys. We never saw though. those players. It was yeah. really head scratching. And I don't know who that falls on, but the chemistry between DeVito and that entire room, besides Jackson, was just off all year. So for you, before we kind of wrap this up, what does it take for him to get to a point next season where you're satisfied? I think I would like to see a good amount of improvement. The stats are fine, but if the offensive line is not as much of a train wreck, we need to see this team being led to a bowl game, I'd say, under DeVito. I'd say he's on the right track. The offensive line will be better. He's not going to get sacked 44 times like he did last year. Just think uh, about that number. Yeah. 44 so times he was dropped for a loss. Yikes. So I think the O-line will be better. I can say that confidently. I think DeVito will make better decisions. Second year as a starter, we saw those decisions get better as the season went on. The one thing you cannot account for is his chemistry with receivers. And let's also keep in mind that's going to be different this year. We're not sure when the program is going to be able to get back on campus, when they yeah. can physically be throwing and catching passes. That's a wild card in this whole situation. So that's really the one thing, the one qualifier I have. But still, as you can see in the article, I'm confident in Tommy DeVito. There's no reason to think that this program cannot get to where it's trying to go with him as quarterback. He's got all the tools. Last year for him personally was not as bad as it's made out to be. He did not have a lot of help, and he should be due for a strong season whenever it gets started. Yeah, as much as Brahma Sidibe is the X factor for basketball, I think offensive line is the no-brainer X factor for football. So we'll see how they develop in the upcoming season whenever they play. It, it is fun to talk about football, and hopefully it gets back before we know it, although it, it's looking less likely by the day, it seems like. Anyway, we'll wrap things up. Fizz Feedback is next. Get your voices heard right here on Fizz Radio. All right, final five minutes or so here on Fizz Radio. Tim Leonard and Jonathan Hoppy. Time for Fizz Feedback. We put out one poll this week on our Twitter page at Orange Fizz. And the question was pretty simple, Hop. It was, who's going to lead Syracuse in scoring for basketball in this upcoming season? Put it out on Friday morning. And we did get a couple funny responses to get to here in a second. But the three choices I gave, I also allowed an other, were kind of the obvious ones. Buddy Bayheim, Joe Girard, and Quincy Garrier. And the funny response we got, just to name it real quick, is from at CPMC108. He said, this poll just made me depressed. <laughs> so Ouch. I guess he's not overly optimistic, given that there's no <laughs> Elijah Hughes anymore. But we appreciate the response. I think for me, and I'll go through what the uh, rankings were here, 41% for Bayheim leading the way, Gerard 36%. Quincy, 17%. We got 6% on other. I would say the only other one to consider is maybe Alan Griffin, if you're really bullish on him coming in and just having a great impact right away. And I, I'm bullish on him, but I don't think even that is realistic. So 
For me, I'd say Gerard, who didn't lead the way, he was about 5% shy of Beheim, has a better chance, actually, because I think that's just more in his sort of DNA. He's been a scorer all his life, and when we didn't see Hughes out there last year, it kind of turned to Gerard. Yeah, I said that earlier in the show. If you missed it, go back and check out our entire show on demand wherever you get your podcast. Just search Orange Fizz. Gerard is that guy, I think, especially if Alan Griffin is not active. And let's be clear here. I don't think Griffin is going to come in and be Elijah Hughes. No one's really expecting that. But what he can be is a wing scorer who can fill it up at times. He's not going to give you 18, 19, 20 a game, but he's going to help fill that void. And if he's not there, I really think Gerard is going to be pouring it in because That's what we saw. Think about it. When Hughes was out against NC State, it was Gerard that they went to. It was Gerard that was making everything happen. He's got the knack to score at a high clip. Bayheim is more of a secondary guy. I think Gerard is the clear answer. I'm a bit surprised that Bayheim leads the way in that poll. Yeah, maybe Quincy has an outside chance but i'd say quincy is a junior that i'll be honest i I don't see it just based on what we saw last year he would have to take a significant step forward in showing the ability to score the ball from the outside because bayheim and gerard have a clear advantage on him at the rate in which they shoot threes yeah three is worth more than two there's no denying that i agree I mean, it would have to be a significant step. I guess I'm more clinging to just what we thought Syracuse was getting from Quincy when he came in as a freshman. And maybe if just one goes down, the rim just gets a little bit bigger for him because it doesn't, you know, you watch him in practice and you watch him before the games and he just doesn't really miss. And it seems like he's got a fluid jump shot and you're like, gosh, why can't he bring that to the games? But in the case for Bayheim, you kind of touched on it there. I I don't think anyone's going to put up 20 next year based on what we're seeing right now on the roster. But I will say I think Gerard is going to have some 30-point games, and I don't think Bayheim's going to have maybe occasionally if he just gets really hot from three. But, like, Gerard is going to have some games where he puts up John Gillen-like numbers against NC State where he might hit 40 one night because he's just feeling it. That's how he gets sometimes. And if he becomes that type of score for Syracuse, it's honestly what they need because they won't have Hughes next year. He's going to take some bad shots too, but that just kind of comes with the territory with him. I would expect a pretty significant jump ahead for Gerard from freshman to sophomore year. And that's asking a lot. I don't think it's automatic that it's going to happen, but I think just based on confidence level and what he sees his role as next year, as that primary scorer, I think he's equipped to do that. That's what he does, score the ball. And it was an adjustment this year for him not shooting as much and playing against better competition. So you'd think that that would translate into a very strong sophomore season. Definitely excited for basketball and football and sports in general to return when it comes. But this was fun, kind of talking some Tommy DeVito, talking some football recruiting. If you missed any of our conversation, go back and check it out on the podcast versions. He's Jonathan Hoppy. I'm Tim Leonard. We will be back 
For Fizz Radio next week, it's Jaron May and Matt Bonaparte chatting. It will drop on the podcast feeds likely Thursday night, Friday morning. And you can find it right here on the Score 1260 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. Thanks for listening. Everyone stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you next week.